Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. All right. Welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Phil Briggs, a reporter for the Military Veteran Lifestyle website, ConnectingVets.com, and a proud Navy veteran. Now, we'll start off today's show by talking about one of the biggest stories of the week. The court case that has finally given Britney Spears freedom from her father. <laughs> had you worried, didn't I, Major? <laughs> you, got, you got it, yeah. Nice. Nice. No worries, man. We are talking, however, about the congressional testimony of Army General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and whether or not calling a leader of the Chinese military was appropriate, something you should get fired for, or even, as some have said, treasonous. And we're going to discuss it with an Air Force veteran, Bronze Star recipient and candidate for Congress in the great state of Nevada, retired Major Sam Peters. So without any further talk, Sam, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Phil, thanks for having me. It's good to be here, man. Yeah, I caught you on TV earlier this week as I heard a variety of veterans talking about this situation and the testimony of General Milley and all that we've seen kind of unfold uh, with Afghanistan and all this stuff over the last month. The Chinese thought wrongly that the United States is going to attack him. I am certain, guaranteed certain, that President Trump had no intent to attack. And it was my task to make sure I communicated that. And the purpose was to de-escalate, calm you, you shared down. all that earlier, and, I understand. And as just, part of that... I, just say, did you or did you not ask, tell him that if we were going to attack, you would let him know? As part of that conversation, I said, General Lee, there's not going to be a war, there's not going to be an attack between great powers. And if there was, the tensions would build up. There'd be calls going back and forth from all kinds of senior officials. I said, hell, General Lee, I'll probably give you a call, but we're not going to attack you. 
you articulating that, that you would tell him, you would give him a call, I think is worthy of your resignation. I wanted to get your take because I kind of like the cut of your jib. And before we even get into that, I liked your background because you went from enlisted to officer and you used to work with canines. So before we get into the news, tell me a little bit about you. Yeah, sure. So I did. I graduated from high school in 1992 and didn't uh, have much direction where I wanted to go. I thought I felt like I wanted to be a police officer. So uh, funny little antidote. I went to the army for all my army friends out there. Thank you for your Navy service, by the way. Uh, but I went to the army because my family, my dad and my brothers were all army. Um, you had to be five foot eight to be an army MP. And I didn't uh, I didn't make that cut by any by any stretch, literally. <laughs> uh, so uh, I went down the hall to the Air Force. They took me at, uh, at my uh, just over five foot frame. And, um, you know, I, I uh, I've grown a little bit since then. But at any rate, uh, I did. I joined the, the Air Force right out of high school, enlisted, became a canine handler, uh, which was just the, one of the best jobs ever in the world. And, you know, 10 years in, I earned my my education. I uh asked for an opportunity to go to officer school. They took me uh, and I spent the last 10, 10 and a half years in my uh, career as an, as an officer uh, leading, leading people instead of, instead of uh, canine handlers. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and dogs. Which but, was uh, easier leading airmen or leading dogs? Dogs, dogs all day long. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise there. No surprise there. As a former E4 myself, I think a dog was probably far more reliable on most. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about reliable, but fun for sure. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about um, your service. I see it includes the greatest hits. You got Iraq, you got Saudi, Afghanistan, um, and you earned a bronze star for events in Afghanistan. Tell me about the events surrounding that award. Well, you know, there's there's a couple different types of bronze star awards. There's, there's the ones where you're in the firefight and you're, you're pulling the trigger and you're doing amazing things and the valorous type things. Um, and then there's the kind where you spend a, a period of time, a long period of time, um, or sometimes a short period of time in, in, uh, those war, uh, war zones. And you do a number of things over a period of time. And that's, and that was what, uh, uh, my bronze star was. I spent, I spent a, a good period of time. We did some, some very interesting things. I, wor- I worked with the joint task force, uh, and we were, you know, there was, there was a lot of targeting going on. There was a lot of, uh, uh, gunfire happening and we were doing some things to make sure that, uh, the, you know, at the time in 2011, the tens of thousands of troops in Afghanistan were, uh, were safe and the threat to America was contained to places like Helmar province and, and those type of places. So, um, lots of, lots of good things there. And I can tell you, uh, just as a testament to the people I worked with, um, that you, uh, you, they make movies about, um, those, those guys are, uh, absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Where so, were you within Afghanistan? Were you, I was at Bagram? Bagram, Bagram. Yeah. Yeah. I just always thought it was so crazy too, because the year you mentioned, man, that place would have had tens of thousands of people at it. Mm-hmm. And what we'll get to in a little bit here, when we talk about our exit from Afghanistan, just yeah. so weird how it all went down with like, I, I remember seeing a press report uh, just a, a month or so ago and the reporters riding a bicycle down the airstrip and it's like a ghost town. And you're going, man, this thing was, yeah. this thing was the safest rock in that whole country. And a, beacon of hope for a lot of people and 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 we just walked off so um you were you were you were there at the height of it and no doubt i know that everything stems from a team and so yeah thank you for everything yeah i I will tell you too just just to caveat all of that you know i i arrived in country 
um, just as the extortion one seven events were unfolding. Um, and, uh, you know, it was an honor of mine and, and something that I'll never forget. One of the first things I did in the first few days I was in country, uh, was, was to lead, lead and be part of the team, uh, that, um, carried those, those heroes that died on extortion one seven, uh, in their caskets from the Humvees to the C-17 that was getting them back home. So, um, it, that was that was kind of my entry to uh, what was about to happen and what's going to happen in uh, Afghanistan in 2011. Mm. So definitely had your ticket punched there, and it's some tough stuff. Which is why I wanted to talk to you about what we're witnessing here because yeah. I think it's. I don't want to say glamorized in the media, but it's politicized. You got books like Bob Woodward's that came out that, that do all this, you know, gossiping and, and, and basically just dishing. I know he does it in his defense is that he's informing the world of what happens behind closed doors, but it gets gossipy and there's a price that's paid for all of this stuff that you saw and served with and did firsthand in Afghanistan. You know about it, as you just mentioned there. Um, Let's start with this testimony. Earlier this week on Wednesday, of course, General Mark Milley testified before Congress uh, that he called Chinese that he called his Chinese counterpart in October again on January 6th to assure them that they did not need to fear that America was about to launch a surprise attack. And of course, as we were just mentioning, since then, media outlets, military leaders, a lot of people in the veteran community have claimed he's betrayed his country by making that call. Miley testified that it was done with the full knowledge of Secretary of Defense. Mark Esper, uh, White House officials and others. So you're a vet and a guy that has a political experience because you've run for office. What are your thoughts on that Millie testimony and most specifically on the call that he made to the uh, Chinese? Yeah, so there was two, there was two calls. Um, so if I would I you know, there's one there's one act. There's one secretary of defense that says, yes, he was informed and it was vetted and, and it was. And it, and it happened and that's okay. And that's fine. And that's part of the chain of command. And, you know, G- general Milley works for the secretary of defense and, and interestingly enough, in, in the, in, when you get it to the higher levels of, of the military ranks, uh, you have, you have numerous bosses, you have an operational boss, you have a staffing boss, you have, you know, in this particular case, he works for directly the secretary of defense, but he also works directly for the president of the United States. Um, so, you know, in, in, in his conversations with, you know, his counterparts of foreign countries, that in and of itself is not um, alarming, uh, so to speak. So but in the in the one that you mentioned with the call that uh, Secretary of Defense Esper approved and was vetted, et cetera, uh, probably not an issue there. The, the issue that I have uh, in looking at these, the second call, uh, which was in the January 6th time frame with uh, acting Secretary of Defense, I think Miller was his name, um, he, he, that secretary, acting secretary of defense has come out and said he did not approve those calls. That's where I have an issue. And, and, you know, I understand where General Milley's coming from. His, his intent is to uh, make sure that the, uh, when it's authorized to, to be given to, to give the intent of the president of the United States. But again, it has to be authorized to be given. General Milley mentioned it in his testimony that, uh, it is very specific that the leader of, the military is a civilian uh, person, and that's by design. Um, so uh, General Milley is, in my opinion, I've called for his resignation a couple of times. I've called for him to be fired, uh, and it's for those reasons. Um, you know, his his testimony went further, in, uh, and, and part of my problem with how it all has gone down is the lack of accountability 
um, from General Milley. We saw it a little bit from uh, General McKenzie yesterday as well. Uh, and the day before in the Senate hearings, they asked him pretty clearly, you know, the the president uh, said that they were not briefed, that he was not in, he was not told by his military generals to keep a force of 2,500, 4,000 people on the ground. And we'll be back with more analysis of this week's events with Air Force veteran, retired Major Sam Peters, when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs for ConnectingVets.com. Now the veteran and military community lit up this week as we witnessed Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, testify before Congress about making a call to Chinese military leaders and telling them not to fear because we were not going to attack. For vets everywhere, this story raised blood pressure, especially those who fought in combat. So we'll jump back into my conversation about this with retired Air Force Major and candidate for Congress from Nevada, Sam Peters. You're not so concerned with the white-hot conversation around some guy's book or some sound bites here. Your specific reason for lack of trust in the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, is that he would not specifically say that he briefed the president that we need to keep a force in Afghanistan. That's all. That's in part. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you're, you're saying in one breath and it was, it was, it was very obvious, right? So he said it one, he, he said it and general McKenzie said it. My, my, my belief is, and I have thought this for the, since we started and he's telling Congress 2,500 to 4,000. And it's, it's been my mindset the entire time. Well, did you tell the president that? Well, I'm not going to talk about that. And then when, when, when Secretary Austin was asked, you know, was that, was that related to the president? Secretary Austin, you know, kind of, you know, let it brush off his shoulders as well. Um, that the sentiment was, was given to the president. Well, well, was the president lying when he did the interview with George Stephanopoulos? Well, right. we're not going to talk. We're not going to characterize his comments. Well, you know, why are you here? And who are, and who are you serving? Um, because the American people need a military that they can believe in, that they can trust, that they can uh, go to bed at night and believe that they're going to be safe uh, from people like the Chinese. Um, you know, and, and, and now we are in a situation, the reason they're in front of the, the, the Congress is because we botched completely a withdrawal from Afghanistan and we gave and we, we armed the enemy that we've been fighting for the last 20 some years. We gave them all of the equipment they needed. And oh, by the way, I didn't make this comment on TV previously. I'll make it here and I'll make, I've made it previously before. The minute the administration has, has made the comments numerous times that we want to give this organization, this, this, the Taliban, an operational airport. It was said numerous times by, by Mackenzie, Milley, and Austin yesterday and the day before that the Taliban is a terrorist organization. Three weeks ago in August, when we botched this departure from Afghanistan, the administration could not get it out enough that we wanted to give them an operational airport. On the eve of the 20th anniversary of 9-11, we want to give this terrorist organization an operational airport. Are you kidding me? This is why veterans are pissed off. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to even where we started when we talked about your service in Afghanistan, you know. That exactly. vacant airbase of Bagram, like it? that vacant base that was just massive and defendable, yeah. was just 
given like a Christmas gift. Um, well said, well said, major man. And that's what I wanted you here. Cause, uh, we get too bogged down. I think sometimes in the hot, spicy sound bites that get thrown around, but your, your linear argument there going from, did you call China? Was that appropriate to, you know, the defense of a president that just claims he can't remember if he was told something that's that I can see being an argument that is supported by logic, reason, and some fact. And that's kind of what I wanted to get past because it just seems to me like, what are your thoughts on like some of the white hot sound bites that we do here? You know, you had, um, uh, uh, representative Vicki Hartzler calling for his resignation. And then Matt Gates just flat out ball busting without even a question, just saying, you know, I don't think you were in it to win it or, or, you know, he lacks the ability to win as chairman. Neither one of those people served in the military. Do they do us a disservice by getting out there and talking smack so loud? You know, I, I see, I see, and a lot of, a lot of folks see this and understand that uh, Congress, especially obviously when the lights are on and the cameras are flashing uh, a lot of, a lot of this is grandstanding. Um, I'll be, uh, you know, on my way to Afghanistan in 2011, John McCain was on C-SPAN and this, I was, I was in a, I was in a, a billeting room on a, on a military base on my way, leaving the United States within a few hours. And I was watching uh, Senator McCain grill the incoming uh, Joint Chief of Staff, incidentally. And he was doing it in such a manner that I, I just could not believe that a congressperson would be talking to a four-star general. At the time, I was a captain, so I had, a, you know, this, this grand, you know, a four-star general's god at this point to me, right? Exactly, yeah. So, um, you know, Jim McCain is talking to him like he's, like he's, you know, just some punk in a, in a jail cell or something. And, and I just could not believe it. And I think a lot of that has, has obviously grown. And we, that's what we're seeing from, from, you know, the folks like Matt Gates and, and, a, and a lot of the rhetoric I think needs to come down a little bit, but at the same time, I will, I will defend every all day long, the need to be forceful, direct, and not let these folks off the hook. Um, because, you know, General Milley, you mentioned you asked about the white hot topics, the book, the book deals, the book interviews, the, all of this stuff. You know, on, at one point in Milley's testimony, he was talking about, you know, I, I try my hardest and I do everything I can to not be political, this and that. And the other thing I'm telling you something right now at the major level and above in the military, politics is alive and well. No question about it. And at the four star general area working for the president and the secretary of defense, they live politics. And the fact that he's sitting there saying that he tries to stay apolitical and he tries to stay apolitical when the cameras are on. But if he was apolitical, he wouldn't be having those conversations with people like Bob Woodward. There's no way around that. Yeah. And that's the thing I kind of kick it past. Like if I wanted to stay out of politics and somebody like Bob Woodward or Robert Acosta came to me and it's like, Hey, I'm doing a book. You want to do an interview? I'd be like, Nope, I'm going to keep going. You can watch my four stars and white ass walk right away from you. Exactly. And so I made a comment and you mentioned my, my, you know, my interviews previous, and this is about accountability. This is about accountability. The veterans in this country, the veterans that I talked to of me as a veteran myself, uh, you know, I mentioned Lieutenant Colonel Scheller in my interview yesterday as well. You know, this guy sitting in a, in a jail cell, having not been charged with a crime uh, because he spoke out, whether we agree with what he said or not, um, it, he, he spoke out. He's demanding accountability from his leadership. 
the leadership that he's been trained and the things that he's learned over his 17 years in, in the military, I can tell you he has learned accountability. One of the things that we say in officer training school, and it said at the at the service academies as well, I will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. That's our motto as officers. And this guy's living it. And the fact that he's in a jail cell because he is, is shameful. And it, again, it goes back to accountability of these four-star generals that uh, veterans are looking for. Mm-hmm. And a president. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, wrapping up Afghanistan and the veteran community, yeah. what do you think should have happened? I, I know we hear about accountability. We hear about these leaders that really should lose their jobs because the whole thing was foobarred from day one uh, with the exit. It, Really, what do you think should have happened? Because this is the natural next question I have with my veteran buddies. Yeah, no, we should have we should have kept Bagram. We should have made we should have exited. I, I have always been a fan of leaving Afghanistan. Uh, I, I go back to why were we there to begin with? What was the national interest? And the reason we went there was because we needed to find Osama bin Laden. We killed him. It was it was 11 years ago or 10 years ago. When, why are we still there? Why were we still there 10 years ago? Millie mentioned it. You know, it was a withdrawal. We've been withdrawing for 10 years. That's not true. That's not true at all. If we had been withdrawing for 10 last 10 years, we wouldn't have been, been building multi-million dollar uh, dormitories for our troops in 2011. We wouldn't have left $85 billion worth of equipment and armed our enemies um, the way we did. So what should have happened? We should have uh, had a plan in the contingencies that they're talking about to have removed ourselves from Afghanistan in such a way that we didn't arm our our enemies, that 13 U.S. uh, veteran uh, uh, service members didn't get killed by a a bomber. Uh, That whole situation is just, just, it's it's troubling. Uh, And the fact that it was allowed to happen uh, is shameful and these folks need to be, again, held accountable. So um, we could have done a lot better. We should have pulled out of Afghanistan. We should have done it through Agram, not Kabul. Um, and the fact that people are now saying, well, we didn't know it was going to fall as quickly as, as it did. It, 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 that's an utter lie. Hmm. So, And again, with every lie comes the accountability and nobody yeah. ever has to be accountable for that's that. Right. They can just go, oh, I didn't know. I wasn't told or I didn't see that one coming, even yeah. though. You and I both have talked to people in the soft community where they clearly saw this coming. I mean, Jalalabad yeah. fell long yeah. before Kabul and 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 yeah. we knew it was coming down the pike. Um, let's switch gears real quick and talk a little bit about presidents. What do we need in a president right now? And what do you want to see in since we elect them for four years at a time? What do you want to see for the remainder of Biden's time? I, I want to see I want to see a human. I want to see somebody that can actually connect with the with the population of its, of, of his or her country uh somebody that will you know when they screw up and they, they're able to say look hey we messed this up but we're going to fix it and this is how because you know as a leader uh when you're when you're leading people when you're leading organizations um you don't get everything right and that and and, and the people at the lower levels the the citizens and organizations the rank and file they know you don't get everything right because they live it. They feel it. It's internalized to them because that's part of their life. And what they're looking for from their leader is, is, is a little bit of empathy and a little bit of leadership. How are we going to get past this? What are we going to do next? What's going to make this better? What's going to bring America together as far as presidents go? How are we going to bring, you know, stop this divide across the country, bring people together and, and live under an, an American umbrella, not a black um, umbrella or a white umbrella or an Asian umbrella or a, or a Democrat or a Republican or all of these things or a veteran or a non-veteran American. 
we're Americans and we live under a, a flag of, of beautiful freedom and liberty. And people around the world look to us for that leadership. And right now we are failing big. Mm. Now, if you had to pick a veteran to be president, which is uh, full disclosure, what I think we really need. Um, you know, I just want to give you a list to choose from, but like uh, former Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink, um, out of Texas, former Navy SEAL again, Dan Crenshaw, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, do any of those interest you as far as seeing them be the commander in chief? Uh, again, I, you know, I'm not going to pick a person. I, I want to command. I want a commander. I, I know I, I want a commander in chief that, again, will exude that leadership. Uh, a military person. Fantastic. If it's not a military person, if it's somebody that has actually led before and knows how to do it and, and knows the, you know, bring our country out of, uh, you know, this, this economic funk, this funk of, of, uh, you know, the strategic failure of Afghanistan has damaged our reputation with our allies, with our enemies, uh, is emboldened our enemies. Uh, those are the things that we need to, somebody to lead us out of. Joe Biden's not going to do it. Uh, and that's the fear that we have over the next three years. So, um, you know, it, whether it's, again, a military person or not uh, that gets it done, uh, we just need somebody that, that will get it done. Mm. Military people this- certainly have some of those skills. So, Amen. And just throwing it out there, but could you get behind a Jocko Willink, Dwayne, the rock Johnson ticket? <laughs> Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> if he's driving a minivan, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, let's end with your own political aspirations. Uh, it took a run of Congress before you're back in it again, looking for uh, to represent Nevada's fourth district. Why after being one of the most respected guys, you know, a good veteran, Air Force award, a bronze star. And then you'd want to become a politician where you arguably become either loved or hated. Man, um, what's up with that? So my so my card says on it very clearly a fighter for Nevada, Nevada, not a career politician. So my, the intent here is not to become a career politician. The intent is to bring some of that leadership uh, ability some of the some of the common sense uh, to our to our U.S. House to to the represent to represent the people of this district that right now are they have no representation uh, the the representative that's that is supposed to be representing us doesn't live in Nevada uh, hasn't lived here for you know nearly a decade um, it's uh, it's just shameful what what's going on and and this is it's it's not okay. Uh, I spent 20 years in the U.S. Air Force. We talked about the places that I've been. Um, I came back to the United States when I retired and we're fighting socialism on our shores. Uh, literally, that is not fear. That is not fear mongering. That is not something that you know I say as a soundbite. That is literal. We are literally fighting uh, socialism from the people in the U.S. House and, and the Senate. Uh, and it can be argued in this administration that you know, put their hand on, on a book and, and pledge an oath to a constitution. And uh, that constitution doesn't have the word socialism in it anywhere. Um, so I'm, I'm fighting for that. I'm fighting for the, the people, we, the people. Um, and it's just, you know, we need to get our country back on track uh, with some conservative values uh, and in the, um, uh, in the light that the founding fathers uh, shown for us. So. Mm. And certainly we're seeing a lot of the debate beyond just what we talked about here with, 
congressional testimony and um, a, a Chairman Milley. But we're seeing a lot of debate about bills where the government seems to be swelling in size and power. Is yeah. that what you mean when we talk socialism, that that government is trying to creep in and be the answer to everything? It is. And it's not the federal government is not the, the job of the federal government is not to take care of the people. It is to protect the people uh, and to protect the rights of the people and the rights of the states. Uh, and, and that's and I think that's been lost because of a lot of this rhetoric and 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 fanfare and, um, you know, over overzealous questioning of of, of uh, t- uh, um uh, people on at the Hill, uh, et cetera. So, uh, yes, the, our government has gotten too big. It's gotten, um, way too into our lives. Uh, we do not need, we do not need a, a law that says the federal government should track all of the money coming in and out of your bank account. And that's, and that is on the floor this week. Um, and, you know, we need to pay attention to those kind of things because that's, that's how bad things happened back in the thirties and forties. If we, if we hearken back to those days. Hmm. And that's exactly why we need to watch what happens with all the veterans that are running for office and Sam Peters in Nevada. I appreciate your time and uh, wish you the best on your campaign and want to have you back, man. So the next time you have something to talk about, the next time there's like military news, uh, let's sit down and chat again. And uh, maybe next time we'll talk about, uh, I don't know, some other things like favorite beers and uh, tips to winning in Vegas. I could well, use I, I, either I'm, of those. I'm happy to do it. And I'd, I'd love to have your uh, listeners and viewers go to sampetersforcongress.com and, and help me out. Right on. Sam, appreciate your time, buddy. Go Navy. All right. Take care. Even though you're Air Force, I know. Too <laughs> <laughs> funny. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.